know, when I was traded to Green Bay, I wasn't real sure where Green Bay was, but I was for certain. I knew who Bart Starr was. I knew what he stood for. I knew that he quarterbacked the Packers in what would be the glory years and and just was a an icon. I knew that. I do remember Bart would always go out of his way to come say hello. And, and I just thought to myself, I mean, this is crazy. Why would he want to talk to me? And, um, you know, just a very humble guy. Bart is that guy that, you know, he is the, the perfect example of what it means to be an incredible player but a better person. You know, I think he's a great role model for all of us. But even more when you're a Green Bay Packer and you realize how much he's meant to this community. You know, one thing that he did, he always would send me a personal letter after I accomplished, you know, something. Not necessarily something of any magnitude. It may have been my first win. It may have been, you know, a three-game stretch. Or it may have been, you know, I didn't play as, as well. And we a tough loss. Send me a nice letter. You know, there'll be better days. That, that's just the type of guy he was. To have people talk about what a great guy you are before what incredible quarterback, I think is a dream of, of many players who play because your reputation lasts longer than, than your body and lasts longer than the stats and the wins. But we wouldn't have this place if it hadn't been for a guy like Bart and the championships that they won and the Super Bowls and the MVPs that he won. But he is an incredible, incredible man and uh, he's been a great friend over the years. Yes, everyone. This is not a test. It is real. For the first time since mid-April, Zach Jacobson and I are back together, although kind of a somber, bittersweet, I guess, kind of uh, moment, uh, because this will be, well, it won't be the last time we're together, but this is the last time we are officially partnered up for the time being. Uh, the pod father, Andy Herman, is making a few changes, so for your Sunday mornings, you've been used to hearing me and Zach since probably December, and that will now change to every other week, I, Jacob Westendorf, will be with Jason Perrone, my partner from Pulse of the Pack, and Pack-A-Day while Zach was uh, not with us for a little while there, and Zach will be with Matthew, uh, but much better, I'm sorry, Matub, I don't know your last name, but much better known as Matub, uh, the meme king of Twitter. So I did mention that Zach is back. Zach, I think this is your first show since mid-April, too, if I'm not mistaken. So welcome back, and how is everything? Yeah, you're right. It's my first show since almost two months ago, man. Uh, I'm good. I'm in a lot better of a place right now. I feel... I feel good, I feel confident, and I mean, I don't want to kill the whole sad vibe we're starting the show with right now, you know, because it's probably our last time as partners, but 
Yeah, no, I'm doing I'm doing a lot better right now, and I'm really happy to be back. And uh, you know, especially with you, of course, even though I apparently hate you, Jacob. You think, <laughs> you think I hate you? <laughs> I don't. I, mean, I do. Oh, I, mean, of, I do hate. You. Yeah, I was driving home from uh, Genoa today, and I got bored. Not that I would ever use my phone while I was driving, but um, mm-hmm. I saw your Ask Me Anything, so I figured I would take the opportunity to be a smartass since that's my first language. Um, so since you haven't been here for a little while, let's catch up just a little bit of brief synopsis. The last time you and I did a show was before the draft. So just kind of run me through it a little bit. What are your thoughts on obviously the two first-round picks are going to get most of the attention, Rashawn Gary, Dar- Darnell Savage, uh, but there's some other players in there. What were some things that were surprising? What are some things you liked? Were there anything that was there anything that you didn't like? Just kind of run me through the the big event of the Packers offseason, if you will, since you weren't around to do that. Yeah. Um, well, I know we want to stay away from the first rounders, but it's hard kind of to just ignore the, the the polarizing prospect that is Rashawn Gary because nobody, especially me, okay, personally, I did not see him being a Green Bay Packer and. When we uh, published our, our FUBAR board, or however the hell you pronounce that, at uh, Cheesehead TV, he was the one player that I said I would not pick in any round. If he somehow fell to the seventh round in, in some crazy alternate universe, I wouldn't have picked him. He's the one guy that I would have stayed so far away from. And, of course, he's the pick at 12. He's the, the guy who's probably going to be a project, but you know, could end up being good. He could end up flopping, who knows, but... You know, I, I, I'm warming up to the pick still, even here in June, first week of June. I'm still kind of, you know, getting acclimated to that and kind of looking at the, at the upside of it. And Andy has, has helped me do that a lot with a lot of his film breakdowns. But I think one of the guys that can really, you know, kind of surprise a lot of people in his first year is Dexter Williams, the, one of their two sixth-round pick, uh, picks. Just because... We know the, the kind of offense that Matt LaFleur is going to want to run. He's going to want to implement that zone blocking scheme. They're going to be using more than just Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. And you know, thankfully, Aaron Jones is more than likely going to get a lot of carries. It's, this isn't the Mike McCarthy offense anymore. So, you know, it, it's, it's an offense which the concepts require, you know, more than two running backs. It's going to require kind of a rotation there, you know, kind of sharing the load. And I, Dexter Williams, I think, he, you know, he's kind of the perfect guy for that. And there is kind of a little bit of a mixture of Williams of, of and Jones in his game. So I think, you know, like I said, he's the perfect guy for what they're trying to do. And, you know, that was kind of the theme of their whole draft. Path. You know, they, they found guys who, you know, fit what they're trying to do, both offensively and defensively. And, um, but yeah, Dexter Williams, I think, is going to surprise a lot of people. And he's going to get a lot more playing time than I think uh, most sixth round running backs typically would. Yeah, I'm interested in the running back room myself as well. You mentioned Dexter Williams. Jamal Williams obviously returns along with Aaron Jones. And Owen Reese and I talked about this earlier in the week, and that's Capri Bibbs, somebody who I think is talented, certainly capable of making the roster. Uh, It's unlikely that the Packers would release Dexter Williams and try and sneak him onto the practice squad, or I can't imagine them moving on from either Jones or Jamal Williams. But if they keep four running backs, and I can certainly see a scenario where that happens, then Bibbs is somebody that I think is interesting. But, yeah, I just wanted to kind of get a little synopsis for you on that. That's interesting that uh, Rashawn Gary made your FUBAR board. Um, for, for Interesting for a lot of different reasons, but certainly okay. Um, now the hope is that 
we just get proven uh, very wrong. Because I was with you. I didn't. It's interesting now looking back on it because you look at some of the trends of Brian Gutekunst and what he's done since being the Packers general manager. Who the Packers were going to pick at 12 was staring us all right in the face. We just didn't see it for whatever that reason was. Um, or we didn't believe it. Or that, yeah. One of those two things. But yeah, Rashawn Gary was somebody who always was going to be in a consideration at 12 as a freaky athlete. Uh, and definitely fits the mold of Mike Patton and everything like that. And Mike Smith, the Packers outside linebackers coach, said he thought he was the best available defensive end outside linebacker in this draft. And, I mean, it was never explicitly asked, but I would assume that means over uh, Nick Bosa and some of the other consensus top guys. So that's been beaten to death. Obviously, the draft is uh, an after – well, not an afterthought, but it's in the rearview mirror at this point and we're working towards OTAs and the Packers mandatory mini camp. You guys are listening to this on six, nine, uh, which is very nice, but it, uh, it starts on six eleven, So Tuesday, and this is episode three nineteen. So Zach, since you are the authority on all of the little things that go into the, the Packers and their happenings, I need to know Aaron Rodgers, even Brett Favre, they're quarterback canes. Some say it's 319. Some say it's green 19. This is like the original what color is the dress or, you know, things of that. I can't, there's a bunch of others that have been like that. Of like some say it's, oh, Yanny and Laurel. I remember that. Uh, this is like the original of that. So, what is the Packers quarterback cadence? Look, I love all things relating to, to quarterback you know, philosophies and everything and quarterback, you know, like how, how they operate on the field, you know, from things like that all the way down to their footwork. But still to this day, I feel like it's green 19. I can't, like, I'm not totally sure. I really hope it's green 19 because like I told you before the show, whenever I'm, I'm playing football and I'm impersonating Aaron, I'm saying green 19. I'm not saying 319, so I really hope that you know that's the right answer. Otherwise, I'm sounding like an idiot, and I have been all these years. That's I, not to say I, I don't already sound like an idiot. Well, I mean, I'll leave that one be. But I didn't even know this was a quote-unquote controversy because, yeah, I had always assumed since I was four and I started watching Brett Favre that it was green 19. But somebody pointed out that they thought it was 319. And then I think the Packers have actually dis- – well, not even the Packers, but just some local bars – um, because I believe it was the Green Bay Distillery, and I'm sorry, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but they, a few years ago they had a Green 19 uh, beer that they were serving a few seasons ago. I remember that because I went to, I think it was 2015. Yeah, it was 2015. Packers-Chargers was the game that weekend, the last of the 6-0 and start. And I was with my friend Mike Reddersdorf, and we saw – uh, John Pershing, he was a quality control coach for the Packers at the time, and he came into the bar and Mike bought him a Green 19 beer. I don't think <laughs> Coach Pershing took one sip of that beer. It's a little strong, and it's it's not a domestic. We'll put it that way. Uh, it's a little more of a it's a uh, what, what's the word I want to go? It's a fancy beer uh, for those that aren't into those. So I don't know if Coach was interested in that, but that's what we bought for him that night. So I just wanted to dispel. That myth. Speaking of things being dispelled, 
I really got to work on my segues. That was brutal and corny. Dad jokes. Those are becoming more and more prevalent as we get closer to the day of here. But, uh, Zach, I'm sure you've noticed the NBA Finals is going on, and there's a lot of... It's just a big surprise at this point. As of right now, well, actually, Game 5 is not till Monday, so... This won't be outdated. The war the Warriors do not lead this series. The Toronto Raptors lead this series three to one. So what I want to do is kind of take. Uh, I like basketball. Uh, I know some people don't, but what I want to do is kind of relate how some things are going in terms of basketball. And since the quarterback of the team is a part owner of an NBA team, very very small part, but nonetheless a part owner of an NBA team, just kind of relate some questions. Uh, in regards to the Packers, this is kind of what we have to do. It's this time of year. Obviously, like I mentioned, the mini camp, it's probably going to get much worse after that because the mini camp is on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next week, I believe. And then there's nothing until training camp as far as football goes. But here's yeah, what but I want to s- tweet at us telling us it's a slow news day and yelling at us. Yeah. It ain't our fault. Yeah, no kidding. For everybody that wants to push everything up into March, can you imagine if like April, May, June, July was like this? Because this is exactly what would happen if free agency and the draft were both like all scrunched together like the way they do it for basketball. Nonetheless, the Toronto Raptors lead this series three games to one. If the Raptors win this series, the MVP of the series is going to be Kawhi Leonard, uh, formerly of the San Antonio Spurs, now of the Toronto Raptors, obviously. So, Zach, going into this year, the Raptors had this stigma around them. There's past years they've been the they were the number one seed just a season ago with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and a really good team, and they just got run through by LeBron. They choked away a couple games in that series, and that's kind of what their reputation was. So what I want to know is who for the Packers this year because Kawhi Leonard has changed that vibe completely. They're not chokers, obviously. They won a game seven at home. Uh, against the Philadelphia 76ers, a very good team. Some people that think the the Sixers are actually better than them, and they probably are in terms of just on paper. Uh, but games obviously are not played on paper. They won four straight games against the Milwaukee Bucks, who were the best team in basketball from a record standpoint all season long. And really, games, I think it was game four, five, and six, all three of them, none of them were particularly close after uh, they survived a game three in which the Bucks very easily could have won that. But the Raptors won those four games in a row, and now they've won three out of four against the Warriors, and really outside of one quarter of this series, the Raptors have been the better team. And it's very possible that if they just like half that third quarter of game two that the Warriors get swept, and the Raptors this series is already over. I say all that to say Kawhi Leonard is a big reason of the change of the vibe. He's a top three player in the NBA. You can certainly talk me into believing he's the best player. Uh, in the NBA at this point in time. I will still side with LeBron James on that for right now. But, I mean, it's it's a conversation more than it ever has been before. All of that to compare to the Packers. Which newcomer on this team can change the vibe and transform things for this Packers team the way that Kawhi Leonard has for uh, the Toronto Raptors? Well. <laughs> well. I'm going to go with somebody who was kind of like my, my 1A, 1B favorite pick in the draft next to next to Dexter Williams. Um, 
and you can easily go with any any one of the, the big four free agent acquisitions they brought in. Those those would all be acceptable answers, but well, maybe not Billy Turner, but those guys would be acceptable answers. But I'm going to go with Darnell Savage, uh, Darnell Savage, the, the second of the Packers' two first round picks, just because having that that free safety, that that instinctive ball hawking free safety, that's rangy and can cover. A deep portion of the field can change the defense so much. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, like kind of, you know, what's happening underneath. Because if the team is going to go deep on you and do that with regularity and success, they're they're just going to keep doing it. And if they know you have poor safety play, they're just going to keep doing it. We saw it last year with the Packers and they had Kentrell Bryce playing back there. Uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't very, wasn't very nice of this team to see, but. I think having someone like Darnell Savage obviously beats out the idea of having Jamal Williams switch to free safety. Uh, but I also think it was kind of a necessity to grab that free safety in the draft and aim high for one because it was obviously a very talented class of free safeties. They also had the opportunity to sign a guy in free agency, and they passed up on that because they knew all along, you know, Savage was one of the guys that they they were going to uh, aim high for. But like I said, just having that guy deep in the middle of the field, that's – going to prevent teams from throwing deep on you and that's going to really test a lot of quarterbacks and you know their potency you know and that's going to that's just going to make things easier for the guys underneath that's going to make things easier for the defense to diagnose things and to recognize what teams are trying to do that's going to make offenses more one-dimensional so Darnell Savage I think even the rookie season he's going to be a huge huge upgrade in this defense. He's, he's the reason why, or one of the biggest reasons why they take that step forward just as a collective unit. Uh, you know, this team has come a long way at, at the safety position since Nick Collins' injury in 2011. They still haven't really been able to replace Nick Collins. I mean, the uh-huh, Clinton Dix came close. I went, went on a limb multiple times to defend him and his play. And obviously, he's a Chicago Bear now, so that would be uh, that would be whatever the word is, you know. <laughs> but where you know, but. Yeah, you know, Darnell Savage, I think he's going to be the biggest reason why this defense takes a step forward. And I'm just talking about his rookie season, you know. The, the, the world is this kid's oyster. He's going to step in and probably be a factor there for years to come. I own his jersey already. Well, my wife bought it for me, so that was yeah. super. But I, uh, so I hope you're right in that regard. And I have said before that I believe that Darnell Savage can transform this entire defense and a lot of the reasons that you laid out there. Uh, just if he's good, there's so many different things they can do. The problem with what I said about that was I was including Josh Jones in that theory, and it looks like Jones may or may not be on the team when training camp starts. I still believe that he will. I can't imagine the Packers get anything worthwhile in a trade uh, to just tell him to go uh, and play somewhere else. But that remains to be seen on that. I will say – Savage is a great answer, um, just for the sake of adding something different. If I were if I were to say first instinct, Savage would probably be the answer I get. I'm going to say Zadarius Smith, just because of the free agent acquisitions. And this could mean something. It could certainly mean nothing. I'm not in the locker room every day. I don't know who steps into those things. But the Baltimore Ravens have this reputation as this like rugged, tough, punch you in the mouth kind of franchise. And the Packers simply haven't had that type of player. And 
ty- that type of reputation in recent years. There were years, especially following 2010, where the Packers were called soft. Some years that wasn't fair. Other years it certainly was um, an earned statement. And Zadarius Smith, I think, can bring something like that over, a ruggedness, a toughness. And frankly, I mean, let's be honest, even without the intangible small stuff that we notice, he's here to rush the passer. And I think that he has an ability to, if he's good and healthy and ready, one, he adds leadership to a defense that's looking for it. Uh, With all due respect to Blake Martinez, uh, because obviously he's here and he'll be in a leadership role in the defense. Mike Daniels probably will as well, but that's probably for one more year. After that, this defense is looking for some leadership void that's been replaced by the fact that Clay Matthews has departed. Uh, Morgan Burnett in recent years has left. Other players, Casey Hayward, uh, Tremont Williams obviously left and came back, but he's probably only around for one more year. Zadarius Smith can really work himself into the face of this defense. And that's strange to say, but yeah, when you spend the type of money that Green Bay did on him, that's probably what they're thinking as well. So I think that if you're looking at someone, because Kawhi Leonard didn't just change the fact that the Pack or the excuse me, the Raptors are now a much better team. He certainly did do that too, but he also changed the culture and the expectation level. And there's a lot of other things that uh, played into that as well, obviously. But Leonard gets the majority of the credit as he should in those terms. I think Darius Smith can change the culture of this defense along with, you know, the vision of Mike Patton here in the next, you know, year or so as his defense gets, you know, more and more in tune uh, with the Packers instead of, you know, just kind of replacing. Last year was a transition year. Obviously it was Patton's first season, just kind of ridding of the rest of Dom Capers. And now it's full go. Second season guys should be kind of moving, reading, and reacting much quicker, playing faster, those sorts of things. So that's what we're going to say for that. Shifting to the Warriors here, because there's a lot of – it's funny. The Warriors have narratives that follow them all the time. Uh, and when you're a you know a, a modern dynasty the way the Warriors are, it makes sense. Well, Kevin Durant got hurt. Uh, I believe it was against the Houston Rockets in the second round. It was because he didn't play the entire Western Conference Finals where yeah. – the Warriors swept the Trailblazers, obviously, and everybody kind of brought up this line of, oh, they don't even need Kevin Durant. Well, now that the Warriors are down 3-1, everyone's like, oh, my God, are they going to get Kevin Durant back? So Kevin Durant, Steph Curry has kind of fallen into this as well, uh, so you could certainly use him for this, but they became underappreciated because that whole team is so good when they're all together. Everyone's like, oh, if those guys aren't on the floor, like, no big deal, whatever. We're learning now that's not true because – I mean, the Raptors, like I mentioned earlier, are walking <laughs> walking all over them as far as this series goes. So I'm just going to use Durant as the example here of somebody who became underappreciated. Because I mentioned Kawhi Leonard somebody you could talk me into as best player in basketball. There's three guys you can do that with. Kawhi Leonard's one, LeBron James, who I mentioned earlier, and Kevin Durant is the other one. Uh, and that's with all due respect to Giannis. I know we got a lot of Bucks fans that listen to me, but or listen to me, listen to this show, excuse me. I'm sorry, you can't talk me into that just yet. Um, I know I may have said that earlier in the playoffs, but there are just some things about his game that were exposed as the wrong word because I don't want to say it like he can't get better. But, um, yeah, that's the word I'm going to use because I don't have a better one at this point. But, Zach, who's somebody that on this Packers team is so good, like Kevin Durant is, that his impact has become 
underappreciated in terms of what he can do on the court or on the field, excuse me. Ryan Malaga, Iowa. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is the perfect answer. And you're absolutely right. I'll, before you give your explanation, I'll just say I agree with you 100%. Uh, there are people on the internet that believe Cap Space is a better player than Brian Balaga. Uh, he's a really good right tackle. I know the caveat phrase is when he's healthy, but he's still really good, guys. And the Packers don't have somebody better on their roster to play that position. So I absolutely agree. My example for that is Brian Balaga. So tell me why we think that. Well, first, let me start off by saying if one more person suggests to cut Brian Belaga for, like you aforementioned, cap space that they aren't going to use right now, who the hell are you going to sign with, with the, the cap space they would create in June or, or, or July or whenever the hell they're going to cut him, uh, apparently? That just doesn't make any sense. Okay, so if one more person tells me that to cut Brian Belaga or, or even suggests it or thinks it, I'm going to rip my, my goddamn hair out, Jacob. Um, there's so many reasons. Starting off, obviously, when he is healthy, like you mentioned, he is one of the best pass-protecting right tackles in football. And that tandem between him and David Bakhtiari anchoring both sides of that offensive line, that just makes things easier for, for the entirety of the offensive line. They have that cohesion, that familiarity there, which I think a lot of people kind of undervalue in terms of, you know, when they're talking about offensive lines. You know, when you know what to expect from the guy next to you, it just makes your job that much easier, and everyone thinks the same thing, all five of those guys. So, second reason, obviously, the biggest one, who is Brian Bulaga protecting again? The cornerstone of the franchise. So if Aaron Rodgers is happy and he's comfortable that Brian Bulaga is there, protecting him I mean I think that that speaks that speaks for itself and yeah you know he played in what 12 14 games last year I can't remember off the top of my head but I know it wasn't a full 16 game season when he does play a full 16 game season which I have I have relatively good confidence that he will in 2019 even at his age he's entering a contract year he understands how important it is everyone in that locker room understands how important it is there's going to be more incentive, obviously, to stay healthy, to do the proper things, to take care of your body, and to stay upright. Who are you going to replace it with, right? Jason Spriggs? There is the possibility that Billy Turner, one of the free agent acquisitions, can, can you know, bounce out from his expected right guard position to play right tackle. And, you know, if Brian Bologna does have to miss time, or maybe Billy Turner is the answer there for the future, who knows what their plans are. But the thing is, they do have those options on, uh, those options on the offensive board. Will have, you know, the luxury of being able to choose from uh, being able to choose from multiple guys. If Billy Turner does that to bounce the right tackle, you have either one of Cole Madison or Elton Jenkins or Lucas Patrick or Justin McCray, all guys that show they can they're capable of playing in the interior and playing well. They can fill in that void. So the Packers have that, like I said, that luxury of filling in at right tackle if Brian Bulaga does that to make time. But there is no long term answer there right now. Brian Bulaga is the best right tackle in your football team. You don't cut him. You do what you can to, to, to keep him upright and just hope that he's able to get through, through a full season healthy. Right, yeah, and you definitely don't cut him if you don't have somebody on the roster who you think is better. You know, for example, uh, when they cut 
Josh Sitton, they thought that with some of the things that were going on in terms of Sitton had some issues in the locker room the previous year as far as questioning play calling, going on the radio, talking about things like that. They just thought it was a better idea to play Lane Taylor. They were right in that regard. They didn't bring back Jari Evans the next year, banking on Justin McCray. That didn't work out, just for example. Um, and as far as Belager goes, yeah, I'm with you. Um, he's not only that, but think about it, guys. What's the best offensive line the Packers have had in recent memory? It was 2014. You mentioned cohesion. Something else about that team that year was I believe Belaga only missed two games that year. Everybody else played all 16. And that offensive line was really good, especially by the end of the year they got rolling. Uh, very good at protecting Aaron Rodgers, who was playing on one leg after the calf injury and uh, things like that. So I'm with you on Belaga being undervalued, underappreciated uh, in that regard. Somebody under the radar. Uh, the Toronto Raptors have made the NBA Finals. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard is the biggest reason why. Like we mentioned, he'll win the MVP if they win this series. But every team that kind of rises to win an MVP has role players make shots. You know, the first uh, the first championship with the Miami Heat uh, when LeBron James was down there, it was Mike Miller made like seven threes or something crazy like that in a clinching game. Ray Allen made a big three uh, in the first series against the San Antonio Spurs. Um, the Dallas Mavericks had guys make threes all over the place in 2011. The last Lakers championship, Zach, just for your sake, I'm going to bring that one up. Metal World Peace made the biggest shot of Game 7, better known as Ron Artest, but he made the biggest shot of that game and basically ended that series right there. So somebody who's under the radar, the person that is that for the Toronto Raptors is Fred Van Vliet uh, of Wichita State and from... Rockford, Illinois. He actually went to high school about 15 minutes from where I live right now. And he's had a, he was basically unplayable in that series against the Sixers. And he has been dynamite uh, since that series against the Bucks started. Not the biggest reason, but a big reason that Raptors uh, series turned the way that it did against Milwaukee. And ultimately in the finals, he's been very good there too. He's made a couple really big shots uh, for the Raptors in this series. So, Zach, who's the guy that is under the radar for the Packers this season that if he has a big year or, you know, like similar to the way that Van Vliet has in these couple series, it just takes the Packers to a different level. Maybe somebody that not a lot of people are talking about. I'm going to go with Jimmy Graham. And I know a lot of people are really kind of counting him out just because of the season he had a year ago, but I mean, most of the whole offense was bad a year ago. You know, a, a lot of those guys struggled. They were playing just in an offense that apparently hadn't adapt, adapted through the last uh, few seasons. But I think Graham with Matt LaFour, a lot of guys are going to be schemed open. Things are going to be easier for these for these young receivers. going to be easier for He's going to be able to run after the catch. He's going to be in open space. I don't I don't foresee a lot of steam balls being thrown to Jimmy Graham. Not a lot of you know, stuff that I never thought he would get. I would have had Jimmy Graham. I don't see him being this this dynamic, crazy red zone threat like Jordy Nelson and Aaron Rodgers were. But I think between the twenties in this offense, he he could be kind of maybe not the old Jimmy Graham, but he he could be serviceable. He could be someone that just really helps uplift this offense. I think he's going to be, you know, I, I know this kind of you know a, a lot of people kind of really don't want to 
hear it because the expectations are high for Jay Sternberger, but he's probably not going to be that much of a factor in year one. They still got Graham, they got Mercedes Lewis, even Robert Clemion might sneak in some playing time ahead of Sternberger. It's going to be an adjusting year for Sternberger, as it is for most rookies, especially most rookie tight ends. So I think Graham is going to be one of the quiet components that really helps uplift this offense and kind of, you know, makes them more, you know, potent as a unit. That's a good example. Um, not a place I expected it to go, but you defended your position well. I'm going to go uh, with Josh Jackson um, because I think that if he's good and able to play cornerback the way that a lot of people thought he was coming out of college, he gives the pack because if you really think about it, the Packers secondary, like if you're a Packers fan like we are, and you sit here and you talk about all the optimistic points of view of how many things can be so great in this Packers secondary, then you look at it from like an outsider's point of view. Somebody can easily rebut that and say, okay, Kevin King's never finished a full season. Josh Jackson really struggled his rookie season. Um, Tony Brown and Darnell Savage are really, really young. And then you've got Tremont Williams and some other guys back there, obviously. There's some question marks back there. If Jackson's good, it gives you a pairing that the Packers were hoping that they got when they drafted him right after they got Jair Alexander. Um, I know that there's a popular thought process to move him to safety. The Packers clearly don't agree with that. Um, They're going to put him in every position that they can for him to play cornerback. And I think that's something that he still can do. And like I said, if a couple years from now you're telling me that um, Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson are your starting corner tandem, then that tells me that Jackson emerged and Alexander kept getting better at that position because both guys, it has, it does have studly potential. So that's going to be uh, my example on that regard. Zach, since we're talking NBA, I suppose we should talk uh, Bucks because unfortunately they were unable to make the NBA Finals. They still had a great season. Uh, obviously finished two games short of an NBA Finals, something they hadn't done since 2001. Um, I mean, that was a long time ago, (laughs) simply put. So what I want to talk about, obviously their best player is Giannis Antetokounmpo. I won't make you say his last name. We can just call him Giannis. Everybody knew Giannis was good. Yeah, there you go. Everybody knew Giannis was good, but this was really his first year to vault himself into the MVP conversation. So... I don't want to say MVP conversation because in football, the MVP award really is pretty much a quarterback award. But when I say that, I mean who's somebody that could be like Giannis was this year and vault himself into maybe elite-level player conversation because we know who the Packers' elite-level players are. But who is that guy that can say, like, man, he had a really good year. This guy is one of the five best players at his position in the entire league. I'm torn between two answers. I'm only going to save one of them just for the sake of not possibly stealing what your answer might be. Um, I'm going to go with Devontae Adams. Right now, there are still a lot of doubters out there. You know, and I, I posted a tweet on Friday about how he's a top five player at his position, yet he has a 17th highest cap hit for 2019. Um, I got a lot of uh, stupidity in my mentions, of course, but um, I think 2019 it could finally be the year that I mean he, he's barely coming off his first 1,000 yard season. He came close in 2016 with the 997. He was just three yards shy 
So, you know, it's hard to kind of discount that difference and not say that the 1,000-yard season, but officially, you know, you know how it is with numbers. But I think 2019 finally be the year that he kind of puts people on notice. And, you know, a lot of guys, fans, people around the league, I mean, you already get players who have lined up across from Devontae Adams' corners talking about how unguardable he is. Now his release off the line is just just absolutely impossible to cover. And I think he's only getting better. I mean, he talked this offseason about expanding his arsenal of beating guys. And just, you know, I think this could be the year that he really vaults himself into that top three conversation. And then you got guys like Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas, Odell Beckham Jr. I think he, he leapfrogs one, of, one or two of those guys. Right now, I think he's the fifth best receiver in ball. But I think he leapfrogs one, one or two of those guys this year. And he's in that elite conversation. Just, it's 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 hard not to see that happen. Just the 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 ascension these last few years, and it's crazy to look back and just see where he's come since 2015, when everyone wanted Jeff Janis to start over him, and now you now you, you talk about him. He's you know kind of regarded by most sane people as one of the best players at his position. So. Yeah, I think Devontae Adams is going to be that kind of guy that leaps into the elite conversation. Well, not everybody wanted Jeff Janis to start over Devontae Adams, but I know what you mean. Um, yeah. Adams definitely worthy of that consideration. I still don't fully understand. It's amazing to me how quickly it takes for somebody to decide that you suck and how long it takes for you to shed that label. You mentioned that year, obviously. Adams had a rough year his second season. I don't think anybody with a brain is going to tell you that he didn't. And it's taken so long for people to let that go. Because there are still – I hear it in the Lambeau Field stands. Like I remember last year I was walking through the stands and somebody said something along the lines of Devontae Rockhands or something like that. It's like, dude, this is our – like one of our best players. And for some reason – that's not just Packers fans. It's it's crazy to me that there are Packers fans included in this, but national people still say, oh, he struggles with drops. Was he worth that contract? Those sorts of things. So, yeah, I think that's somebody that could have a big year. And if he has a big year on a team that is good, that certainly helps you as well because then you're in the spotlight more often as opposed to – Adams had a great season last year. But, I mean, even though it is the Packers and one of the most popular teams in the NFL, nobody cares if you suck, which they do, or they did, I should say. Um, so that'll be something to watch. Mine, I'm going to – Jair Alexander. I just talked about it with the cornerbacks with Josh Jackson. That was my second guy. I kind of figured that would be your second guy as well. There are other options. Aaron Jones was in consideration here for me as well. I just don't know if he's – I imagine he'll play well. And he'll get the majority of the touches. I just don't know if he'll get enough to the point where you're like, man, he ran for 1,400 yards, he caught 50 passes, and had about 600 yards receiving and probably 10 touchdowns or something like that. I just don't know if he'll get enough of the touches to do those sorts of things. Alexander, there were times, I mean, he had his rookie struggles too, but I keep thinking back, and this is kind of, and it's a weakness of mine as well because it's kind of the reason I hang on to Josh Jones the way that I have because I remember – that game he had his rookie season against the Cincinnati Bengals, I'm like, man, that was the ceiling right there. Like, you saw everything he could do for this defense right there. Alexander, I go back to that Rams game where he was just phenomenal. From start to finish, 
took away their best receivers, was all over the place. He had five pass deflections in that game, I believe was the number, and he could have had a couple interceptions as well. This is somebody that I think has a chance to be very special. And with a pass rush, with the Smith brothers, Rashawn Gary, I think it should be improved. That's going to give Alexander more opportunities to get his hand on the ball because he had one interception last season against Buffalo. He had another interception taken away uh, on a bogus roughing the passer penalty, called on Kirk Cousins uh, and Clay Matthews in week two. But this is somebody that I think could easily vault himself into, yeah, top five, top ten type cornerback. And if he's good, this is somebody I mentioned faces of the defense also. This is a guy who I've said this during his rookie season, I really do believe this. If the Packers defense gets to like an elite level, Jair Alexander is going to be to this defense in terms of like face of the defense and everybody else hates him, but we love him kind of thing. What Richard Sherman was to the Legion of Boom. Uh, and he was one of those dudes that if you were a Seahawks fan, you love Richard Sherman. You stand by everything he does, says, and everything. Jair is going to be that guy for this Packers defense if they get to an elite level and are playing for a championship. So that's where I'm going to go with that. Zach, we're done with comparisons. We're done with all those sorts of things. I guess I, since we're doing basketball, I have one more question. Are the Warriors going to get to play another home game at Oracle Arena? They would have to win on Monday in order for that, or is it a wrap? I think Toronto wins it. <sighs> yeah. I, I don't see the Warriors pulling a, you know, pulling a, a three to one, three and one comeback. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see that happening. It's Especially, you know, not. I don't know if Clay Thompson's still battering that, that, that hamstring injury. I mean, I know he was limping the other night briefly, but, yeah, it's, 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 this team obviously looks a little bit undermanned right now. I'm not some kind of basketball analyst, but it, and it's hard to say that a team with Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson is undermanned. <laughs> it's true. You know, but, but obviously losing Kevin Durant is huge. But, yeah, I, I, think, I think the Raptors win it. A lot of momentum right now, and they're going to be playing, you know, at their home court, so it's going to be going to be tough. It's strange because I've often said whether it's fair or not, the legacy, if you will, of the pre Kevin Durant uh, Golden State Warriors is that they blew that three one lead to the Cleveland Cavaliers in what would have been their second consecutive title. Whether or not that's fair, you guys can debate amongst yourselves, but that really is what that legacy is. So I said it. There's a couple things. It might be fitting for the this version of the Warriors for Durant to not come back and them to come back and erase this series. I'm torn because this series has given me vibes of, I believe it was the 4 Los Angeles Lakers where they lost to the Pistons. And, you know, they were down 3-1 in that series, but I never felt like the Lakers weren't winning that series. And then they didn't. Or the end of the Miami Heat when LeBron James was uh, there with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. You saw that series against the Spurs. And I still felt Miami had a chance to win that series. Obviously, they didn't. The one time, and the one time that I've counted the team out, like as soon as the Cavs dropped to three-one a couple years ago, I was like, "There's no way." Obviously, the Warriors have, you know, they've won six of the last like eight games or something like that against the Cavs in the finals. By that point, that wasn't going to happen. And as much as this series kind of reminds me of that '04 Lakers team or that 2014 Miami Heat team. I just, 
don't know if I'll believe that the Warriors are going to lose a series until I actually see them lose it. So I think they win and give themselves a shot to win on their home court and possibly get Kevin Durant back. The more it sounds, it doesn't sound like he's going to be back. But I just wanted to get your thought on that before we move on. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, This was episode 319. Like I mentioned, that's crazy that we're already 320 episodes into this show. I can't believe that they actually let us do this, but they do, so I am thankful for that. Check out that show on your favorite podcast forum, uh, your iPhone, your smartphone, your Samsung phone. If you have one of those, what are you even doing? But I'm team iPhone for whatever that's worth. I actually have two of them, one for work now. So I am all in on Apple products, I guess. Um, But check it out on there. Give us reviews. Give us feedback. Give us feedback on Twitter. You can do that for the show. It's at Packaday Podcast. You can do that for me. I am at Jacob Westendorf. And Zach, you can do it at Zach A. Jacobson. And that's Zach with a C-H, not Zach with a K for those that get confused easily. Uh, June 11th. I'm still, I'm, still waiting for, I'm still waiting for the guy with the Zachary Jacobson handle to, to give it up. He hardly tweets, but he has a PhD according to his bio. So the second he leaves, I'm snatching that thing up. Yeah, we're going to have to figure out a way to get that done for you then because I don't know why, if he never tweets what the big deal is, we could just easily swap swap handles that way and it would be just fine. But that's not going to happen. That's okay. Um, that's where we're going to go with this. Um, but, yeah, go ahead, send us tweets, send us feedback, send us discussion. Like I mentioned, the new schedule takes place starting next week. So next week you will hear myself and Jason Perrone. And then the following week you'll hear Zach and Matub. So, small change, not a big deal. Um, it's still going to be great content coming for you guys. Just some new voices, and welcome to the team, of course, Jason Perrone. Um, the joke that I'm sorry, Jason, I'm sure you're listening, that I can't make is, with Zach, I have worked with the youngest person on the team, and now, since you're coming in, I am working with by far the oldest person that is on the team. So, that's cool. It's a nice little double end of the spectrum for me in regards to that Thank you guys for listening to this show every single week. It's a lot of fun every single day, 24-7, 365. Football will be here before you know it. So thank you for listening. And as always, go Pat, go. Third and six, trailing 30-23. to 23. Two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A-gap, and here they come. Rodgers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. on third down and three in the shotgun football to the 46 at green bay packers showing a blitz and here they come Beathard looking hit as he throws it deep down the right sideline and intercepted on the play spectacular interception by kevin king at the nine yard line of green bay snap to rogers looking right throws the right side thing brown makes the Inside the 30 of the 28 yard line. Snap to Rodgers. Looking downfield. Throws the left side. He's got it. Out of bounds inside the 10 yard line. Oh my goodness. What a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. 
Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.